All right, so um, I'm going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about um, the relationship of the church to politics. And when media talks about evangelicals, 51% of evangelicals voted for Trump. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's, that's your opinion. And that you're, 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 you have the right to have those opinions. Um, but the big thing that I wanted to address is that there's a big shock by mainstream media that all of a sudden there's some Christians who are saying, I disagree with Trump. And the truth is, okay, so here's some interesting uh, facts. Um, majority of evangelical pastors are, did not vote for Trump, but majority of evangelicals did vote, vote for Trump. And not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing, but what I am saying is that there's a big gap between what pastors believe and what the congregation believes. And we're gonna talk about how that ended up being that way. Uh, towards the end of the, of the teaching part. But okay, so we're going to go back to the 1910s and 1920s, if you could see that. Um, so this whole thing starts off with the United States being a Christian nation. And then around the 1910s and 1920s, this thing called the modernist movement started. And if you don't know what that is, it started in Europe and it kind of leaked into the United States. And what that movement is, is basically they started to use science to say, hey, why are we believing the things in the Bible? Right? So they're talking about how the virgin birth can't be true because you need to have the egg and the seed both to actually make it happen. Right? So um, modernist theology from Europe to the United States it started to come in and they started questioning the, the authority of scripture, the virgin birth, existence of miracles, um, redemptive work on the cross, etc. They started questioning these things. Now, if your life is based in what you believe in the Bible, this is a threat, right? And so a lot of Americans, especially a lot of pastors, church leaders, started taking this as a threat. And so a lot of, there's a lot of splits in, in the churches that happened in the 1910s to 20s. Um, there's some uh, churches that accepted it and said, well, maybe we should look at the church, look at scripture from more of a critical perspective, right? Not to say that we're going to start believing that miracles aren't real or we're going to start believing that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, you know, but they're saying, but... The modernist movement has some merit to it. We need to start looking at it with a critical eye, while other people are like, no, we should just accept it for what it is. And so there's a, there's a big split that happened in the church. Um, and so these people who said, no, we shouldn't accept this modernist movement, they call themselves fundamentalists because we want to stick to the fundamentals of our faith. Now, today we look at fundamentalists as, as like really strict conservative views. In the beginning, it wasn't that. So when I talk about fundamentals in the beginning of this informational session part. Uh, don't think of it as a negative thing. Okay, so, and then we go to the 1930s. 1930s, um, so more and more fundamentalists, they start emerging saying, um, this is what we believe. We believe in Jesus. He is our Lord. He was born in a virgin birth. His death on the cross actually meant something. Right? All those things happened. But because they started focusing on what's right and what's, and what's wrong, they started creating this culture of if you believe these things, you're in. If you don't believe in these things, you're out. So all of a sudden, they started creating this line. If you could think back to what the early 1900s, late 1800s looked like, I don't know if you can imagine in your head, but you could imagine like the church being in the center of a town and everybody kind of walking there, whether if you're a believer or not, it's just part of being a community. People will go there and have a potluck and they'll just have bingo night or whatever, right? There was no us and them. It was just you're part of a town, then you're part of the church. That's how it was. But all of a sudden, with the fundamentalist movement, all of a sudden, we started drawing lines. 
do you believe in the modernist stuff? Then you're not part of us. If you do, then, you know. Um, and then this toxic culture started to emerge out of the church. And um, that was really highlighted by this guy. His name is Harold Ockenge. Harold Ockenge was a pastor of a small church. He eventually became a really big name guy. Um, if you heard him Fuller Seminary, he's the guy that started that. Um, he's, he's a big name now, but back then he wasn't. But he basically said, um, he's like, I believe in the things the fundamentalists believe, but I don't like the culture that's coming out of it. It, sounds, it feels a little toxic. Um, he said that you guys, were be- the church is becoming anti-intellectual. We're becoming more inward focused. We're thinking more about like how do we preserve us rather than going out there to reach out to people. Um, they became more interested in policing people, policing beliefs. Um, the usual illustration people use to des- describe this era is the church used to be an ambulance. When there was people in need, we used to be there to help them out. But now we became like a police force where we're just telling people you did something wrong. And if you did something wrong, then we should burn you at the stake. You know, so um, the church took this huge step to the side that we weren't supposed to take. It was a detour that I'm not sure if we really recovered from. But that's, the, that's what the church became. And we became increasingly racist. We had racist tendencies. Um, and the reason is because this fundamentalist idea grew up in the South. And so people who already had that as part of their culture, they just reinforced it. They wouldn't call themselves racist, but I think the people who are more used to integrated societies will look at them and call them racist. Please come in, come in. Um, so Harold Ockengay basically said, I agree with the orthodoxy. That means the, the belief system, right? I believe that, yes, the Bible it has authority. We believe in all that stuff. We just don't believe in the orthodoxy. Orthodox, uh, I mean, orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is what you do because of your beliefs. Okay, so any questions so far? Because we're going through the decades pretty fast. I'm sorry, I only printed out 10. <laughs> but I will have them uh, downloadable on the bulletin next week. So if you're interested, you could just check the bulletin app and you could download it there. Okay, so so far, I'm just kind of recap for the people who, have, who just got here. For the 1910s to the 1930s, um, the church felt like it was under attack by this new belief system. And so they just decided to fortify themselves with these walls of beliefs. And what that led to is, is basically, let's preserve ourselves and let's police people and punish people who got it wrong and reward the people who got it right. And that be- made us into a very, uh, made the church at that time into a very, it benefited the people inside the church, but it really hurt the people on the outside. People who had different sets of beliefs, it really hurt them. And then in the 1940- 1940s, I call this the rise of the evangelicals, um, Harold Ockenge, this guy, um, he eventually became a bigger name because he started two big organizations. The first one is called War Relief. So this is around the time of World War II. He started War Relief because he noticed that there were some, nation, some places, some towns, some villages in Europe that was destroyed by the war, and they decided to raise money in their churches to send resources over. By the way, if you heard of World Relief, that's War Relief later on when the war ended and all, they took care of all the cities over there. They changed their name to World Relief. So Harold Ockingy is the founder of World Relief. But the second organization he started is called the National Association of Evangelicals. And basically what they're saying is we believe in all the stuff that we should believe in, right? We believe in the Virgin Mary. We believe in Jesus. We believe, on the, we believe the cross. We believe in miracles. 
but we also don't want to be anti-intellectual, right? So this, uh, the, the National Association of Evangelicals, um, they're basically saying we are not anti-intellectuals, also uh, begin to be known as the neo-evangelicals. So, um, and in the following decades, this group of people who called themselves the neo-evangelicals, they started growing in popularity, got bigger and bigger and bigger, until the 1950s, when a guy named Billy Graham shows up on the scene. You guys heard of Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham shows up and he basically says, Harold Ockingay is onto something really good here. Like, I like this. I like that church is is not about keeping people outside, telling them that they're wrong, that we're all about love, we're all about ending segregation, we're all about that. You know, he's like, so I need to give them a voice. So Billy Graham in the 1950s started this organization, uh, started this magazine called Christianity Today. It exists to to become a voice for the neo-evangelicals. So Billy Graham started this thing called the Billy Graham Crusade. You guys probably heard of that. He goes around the United States, filling up stadiums, talking to people about Jesus. Um, he wasn't out there just telling people who didn't know who Jesus was about who Jesus was. What he was doing was he was trying to change the perception of who Jesus was, what the church was, because at the time, fundamentalists was sweeping across the nation, which, which I highlighted before, anti-intellectual, most likely seen as racist. Right? So he showed up. One time he came to the South, and he, he was doing his Billy Graham crusade, and there was this rope right down the middle, and it's like blacks over here, whites over here. And he said, he told the police, if you don't remove that rope, I'm not going to speak. Right? And they said, we can't remove that rope. So he got off the stage, came down, and he started taking the rope off himself so that he could integrate the two. And he got in a lot of trouble for that. So Billy Graham became the face of neo-evangelicals. Um, he stood for uni- a unity of races, so the Crusades in the South especially. Um, he invited the modernists to the Crusades when he was in the North. Uh, what that means is, he says, look, some of you guys are Baptists, some of you guys are Methodists, some of you guys are Presbyterians, some of you guys don't believe in the same things I do, but it shouldn't matter. We, sh- we should all be one together, right? We should all be friends. And so as Billy Graham was starting to tell people, like, guys, this is what Christianity is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like a more integrated, a unified movement. The people who felt really uncomfortable, uneasy about this, well, they were the fundamentalists because they liked everything black and white. Right, because they wanted to hold on to the Southern values. And so these people who called themselves the fundamentalists, and by the way, into the 1950s, um, people who held Billy Graham's views still called themselves fundamentalists because fundamentalist at its core was about belief, not about culture. Um, so as Billy Graham was making his way around, um, the fundamentalist movement, uh, they became more and more solidified as the opposite of evangelicals, the neo-evangelicals. And that, per, that movement, you know, Billy Graham's the face of the evangelicals. Bob Jones was the face of, of, of um, the fundamentalists. Now, who is Bob Jones? Okay, so there's a university called Bob Jones University that's found in the 20s, I believe. Have you guys heard of Bob Jones University? Okay, if you study law, you know this is a big deal. But, um, so, Bruce. <laughs> um, so, established in 1927, it was, people think it was a whites-only university, but that's not true because there were Asians there too. It's a no-blacks university. That's what it was. And Bob Jones, and he, it was a Christian university. It was a private Christian university. And he even said, people who attend my school, 
Bob Jones University, who attend a Billy Graham crusade are expelled. So people are like, okay, we really don't want to be a part of the Billy Graham crusade. Um, so that's what the fundamentalists became, is that they became the anti-evangelical. Uh, and remember, uh, we'll talk about what that looks like later. 1960s, the civil rights movement started to come up. And uh, pastors who wanted to maintain Southern values supported the fundamentalists, and pastors who agreed with the civil rights movement sided with the evangelicals. So now you have Christianity in America with two sides. We have evangelicals, and we have fundamentalists. And I would say that if, like, our church, if we were to use these terminologies, we would be evangelicals, not fundamentalists. But then in the 1970s, this is where things get really, really messy. Um, Bomb Jones University was sued by the IRS, saying, like, you're going to lose your tax exemption status um, if you don't allow full admission. So here's an interesting story about that. Um, so they eventually caved and said, sure, we'll let blacks come to our church, uh, to our school. But they had one caveat to that. You guys know what the caveat was? You had to be married. Do you know why he, that he, Bob Jones said you have to be married if you're black to come to our school? Yes, so that they could prevent interracial marriage. If you're already married, you can't hang out with, yeah. So that was the thing, but they changed that eventually. Um, so basically, as Billy Graham was starting to you know, raise awareness to the new evangelical movement, the fundamentals had to double down on their values. And uh, so there's a guy named Jerry Falwell uh, Sr. who launched this thing called Moral Majority. Who, how many of you guys have heard of the Moral Majority? What, what is that really about? Neither what? Moral or <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay. But the cause that usually, that people think that the cause that started the moral majority was abortion. But it wasn't. It was about segregation in schools. But when they realized, as Kelvin just said, it was neither majority <laughs> or moral, and they realized they need more numbers to back up this movement, they reached out to the evangelicals and said, hey, we're not about um, segregation. We're actually about addressing the moral decay of the United States. And so because of that, Billy Graham jumped into that, and the neo-evangelical jumped into that too. And so now what was separated is now together, but it wasn't really together because the fundamentalists were still fundamentalists and the evangelicals were still evangelical. They were, they were saying for this one cause, we're willing to join forces, but there are still two different sides to that one movement. And then around that time, 1970s, Jimmy Carter became the President of the United States. And when Jimmy Carter became the President of the United States, Newsweek published an article, well actually the cover, that says, I think, was it the year of, I think it was called the Year of the Evangelicals. And all of a sudden the United States was introduced to this term evangelical. People who didn't go to church all of a sudden were like, evangelicals, oh that's what they call themselves. And the, the, the mainstream media, they picked up on that term too. They're like, oh this is you know, Jimmy Carter calls himself an evangelical, so all non-Catholic, all Protestants basically, are now evangelicals. So if you were to show a picture of Bob Jones and, and Billy Graham to a, an average Joe who doesn't go to church, they would assume that both of them were cut out of the same fabric, that they're both evangelicals. So you're starting to see this confusion of what the media and what the public in general, who, who weren't part of the church, started address like the title evangelical meant uh, um, basically a Protestant Christian. Um, 
So there's confusion that kind of came out of that. So the people inside the church, they believe that evangelicals are different from fundamentalists, whereas the media and public in general, um, they believe that evangelicals equal all non-Catholic Christians. And that hasn't changed. So when the media talks about how 51% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, like I said, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but what I am saying is they're grouping all types of Christians together. So when the news says evangelicals believe this and you call yourself an evangelical and you're like, wait a minute, that's not what I believe. Um, it's because they're grouping everybody together. The confusion continues because the media and public perception, most Americans informed by mainstream media. Okay, people who tune into in the news and get their main information about who the church is will just use that same term, evangelicals, to talk about both sides fundamentals and evangelicals. Um, and to make it even more confusing, in one denomination, such as the Southern Baptist uh, de uh, denomination, within that one denomination, they give freedom for each church to decide where they stand on these, these issues. So in, under one denomination, we have evangelical churches and fundamentalist churches, which makes it even more confusing, right? And there are some fundamentalist churches who actually thought this through and realized, wait a minute, fundamentalists have a bad reputation. So we're going to call ourselves evangelicals. So some fundamentalists realized that the term evangelical had less baggage, so they decided to switch their name, but they still believe in the same thing. An example of that would be Robert Jeffress of the Dallas First Baptist Church. He's extremely fundamentalist, but he calls himself, they call themselves evangelicals. This is why evangelicals, um, if you think that uh, evangelical values are better than fundamentalist values, I'm trying not to sway you guys either way, um, they say that you know evangelicals has been hijacked by people who aren't who don't really hold to evangelical standards. Okay, so how do you tell them apart? How do you tell evangelicals apart from uh, fundamentalists? There's six uh, general rules that you could uh, that you could look at, and uh, like I said, these are general rules. They don't they're not true all the time, but in with a broad stroke of a brush, I would say this is true in most cases. Okay, so here's number one. There's a tendency to wage war. Um, what that means is when they disagree with something, they would say, hey, let's boycott that. Um, they, fundamentalists typically, they've boycotted um, Teletubbies. They wage war against Disney. They wage war against Hallmark because there was a same-sex kiss on one of their TV shows or something like that. Um, yeah, they, 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 uh, they tend to either boycott or wage war against some certain cultural things, whereas evangelicals don't, typically, generally. Okay, number two. There's a deep resentment of mainstream, mainstream media uh, and culture. Um, they don't like the um, main, mainstream media um, because mainstream media usually depicts cultures that they are against. Now, this is, there's an interesting thing about this. Um, so you guys heard of the Mo uh, Scopes Monkey Trial? So this is a trial where um, in uh, Tennessee, there was a law, uh, um, there's a law, it's called the Butler Act, um, that prohibited teachers, public, teach public school teachers, from teaching anything. You can't teach Darwinism, basically. You can't teach anything outside of creationism. And a substitute teacher showed up, and this person, his last name is Scopes, that's why it's called Scopes Monkey Trial. He showed up, and he taught evolution to his students. 
and then this whole thing just blew up, right? This was such a big deal that, um, from what I read, they actually built this um, uh, strip of land uh, so that, you know, back then they didn't have email and stuff like that. So, like, they would, the, the reporters would be in court taking notes and everything, and they would, they would have airplanes waiting outside so they would deliver it so they could fly them out to the broadcast network places. And, you know, I mean, it was such a big deal. All of America was tuning into this. And so the, the, the prosecutor in this case was William Jennings Bryan. Now, he was um, like the hero of the fundamentalists. Everybody, he ran for president three times, I think. And uh, he, uh, so everybody, everybody who was part of the fundamentalist church, they were rooting for him. Like, yeah, you could do it. And the, pros the defending attorney was Clarence Darrow. He, instead of attacking, um, you know, defending, he actually put um, William Jennings Bryan on the stand and asked him questions about, do you really believe in this stuff? Do you really believe the world was created in seven days? Hi. What? Ricky. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, and so this was for all of America to hear. So, this guy, this this defending attorney, he started asking questions like, "Do you really believe that the world was created in six days and God rested on the seventh day? Do you really believe that that with all the evidence that we didn't come from, that we didn't involve? Do you really believe that miracles are real?" And so, the fundamentalist belief system was put on trial basically and everybody made a mockery of it and so at the time when this happened mainstream media was anti-fundamentalist beliefs and so the fundamentalists what they decided to do was they decided to withdraw from mainstream like okay well we don't want to be made fun of anymore so let's let's get out of the limelight and by the way um william jennings bryan he passed away like three to five days after the the trial ended so everyone's like, we don't have, our hero just passed away, and uh, everybody's making fun of us. Let's withdraw from limelight. And so for that reason, um, they have a big resentment and disdain against mainstream media and culture. By the way, but later, should I talk about this? Because I think that comes later. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll come back to that. Okay. Um, no, no, I'll talk about this now. Okay, so... So at that time, Falwell, remember I brought him up earlier, he basically said, you know, if they came into our world, because they're telling us how to run our schools, now government, the government's telling us how to run our schools and how, what we should believe, you know, maybe we should invade their land, their world, and change their stuff. So they decided to get into politics. And so all their people, the fundamentalists started running for, for, for office. They're, they're like, hey, we want to stand for Christian values, which is really fundamentalist values. Um, they, uh, they started, they're like, you know what, we don't want to trust the, the news because it's all fake, so what we're going to do is we're going to create our own news network, we're going to create our own broadcast network, and we're going to create our own radio, sh radio show, uh, focus on the family starting around this time. Um, uh, TBN, you know, all those Christian TV shows that, you know, they had their own radio stations. So these fundamentalists decided to create their own empire of media. That's why they have a big disdain for mainstream media because they don't trust it and they don't want their people in the congregation to trust it. So they created their own set of media. The Christian bookstore was created by, um, um, before Christian books were sold in public bookstore, at least they still are. But uh, because of fundamentalist, fundamentalist movement, uh, they created their own you know, bookstore, their own t-shirts. Well, now everybody makes t-shirts, but you know, that, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. There we go. Uh, nearly defined 
us versus them. Focus on policing who is in and who is out. And so this is kind of self, I talked about this earlier. Because they're all about what we believe, um, the joke inside the, the joke of the people outside the fundamentalist church, we usually say, oh, fundamentalists believe in the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. And while we believe that scriptures have authority, they use the scriptures as, as a way to define who's in and who's out. That they would place that above the mission that Jesus had. Jesus had the mission to, you know, to love the, the people who are on the outside, but they would say, no, no, no. What's more important is defending us. You know, so they use the Bible to define the us and them. So they would, like I said, they would police those people who are on the outside, etc. Okay, next. Abandonment of culture. Obsession with the end times. Okay, so this is called eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. They have this obsession with how the world's going to end. Why is that? Why do you think the fundamentalists have a huge obsession with how the world's going to end? Well, we, we all want to know where we're going, right? <laughs> but why would they be more obsessed about this than, than evangelicals are? More from the Bible? Biblical? Perception that others are going to get their Yeah. They want justice. The world is making fun of us. Well, we'll be laughing when they're rotten in hell, right? Or burning, because they don't... If, if, I don't know which one. Okay, but... <laughs> um, so after they withdrew from mainstream media, they started creating this... Um, this is like the early half of the 1900s. They were looking around to adopt any kind of theology that would um, confirm what they were feeling, which is, we're doing the right thing, the whole world is doing something wrong. And when they realized that, they came across some teachings that rose up in the late 1800s, early 1900s for sure. Um, people like Tim LaHaye and those people are the ones who really promoted this, which is, how's the world going to end? So up until the late 1800s, and this is a whole other crash course I could talk about, but the whole idea of rapture wasn't taught in any church until the early 1900s. It's a fairly new teaching. Um, that's why you won't find any um, teachings from the early, like before the year 1000, you won't find any theologian talking about the world burning. And you're like, but that's in the Bible. Well, they didn't read the Bible the same way that we read it now. We read the Bible today um, in the way that benefits eschatology and the way that fundamentalists want to see it. It's a very literal reading of the Bible. And so they want to make sure that there's justice from God, that the people who are in the wrong make, want to make sure that they know that they're wrong. And so they, uh, um, remember in the beginning I said that most evangelicals disagreed with what Trump said and how he's, he, how he's um, doing his presidency, but the evangelical church, majority of them voted for Trump, that there's a big difference between what pastors believe and what the congregation believes. And what comes in between the pastor and the congregation? Why do you think there's such a big difference between what the pastor is teaching and what the congregation is hearing? Why is there a big... I don't know if I answered that right. Okay. Huh? Okay, you're right. They want to believe. But where did they get this notion that why is it that the evangelical pastors are teaching one thing and the congregation is hearing something else, that they're living according to a different theology? It's because most Christians, while they come to church on Sunday mornings, they get their teachings from the radio, from TV shows, from the books that are sold. Um, if it wasn't, and now it's more readily available to everybody, right? So it's not a coincidence that 
majority of churches are singing the same songs that were made by Bethel and Hillsong because they were able to get their songs out. Um, it's not a coincidence that most evangelicals believe that the rapture is going to happen and that the world's going to burn and the Antichrist looks like a certain way because most Christians have read the Left Behind series and watched the really bad movies that, <laughs> that spawn off of it, right? Um, what comes between pastors and the congregate, congregants is that the fundamentalist media has come in between that, that structure. Um, even and a lot of the big time um, organizations out there that have like weekly Bible studies are usually spawned from the fundamentalist movement. So that's why there's a big difference between what pastors believe and what the congregation believes. And that's not just theologically, that's also politically. Um, and so they, so they abandoned culture, but they created their own. And their own looks like obsession with end times, and especially Israel, because in a lot of the end time passages in the Old, in the, in the Old Testament, it talks a lot about Israel, the state of Israel, and some stuff in, in the Revelation. The, yeah. Um, next, the next one is a deep distrust in modern science. So uh, they have this understanding, this is what, the Bible teaches, and they're not willing to budge from that. And so when the Bible says, and the Bible and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and science are opposed to each other, they tend to believe the Bible. Whereas evangelicals don't do that. Evangelicals, what they do is, they're like, in light of new evidence, how should we interpret scripture? Um, I remember my first day in seminary, my professor said, one plus one is two. It's like, yeah. And two plus two is four. It's like, yeah. And you'll find all this in the math books. like, yeah. So, is the math book inspired by God? I'm like, what kind of question is that? And he said, if it's true, it's from God. Because God is a God of truth. And so the math books, you know, was inspired by God. I'm like, oh, that never saw it that way, right? If science proves something, then we need to believe that too. If some psychology proves something about the state of the human mind, we have to say, well, that's how God created it. If the world was created in thousands thousands of years or millions of years or billions of years, if that's what science teaches, then we have to believe that that's how God created it. And, but the fundamentals say, nope, we believe in the literal reading of the Old Testament. God created the world in six days, um, 8,000 years ago, and uh, that's what we have to believe, right? And so they have a big distrust of science, modern science. And they believe that any science that contradicts the Bible is some politically motivated um, way to throw people off their faith. That, that's what I usually heard. So that's that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, next one is the echoes of racism. Um, because what they believe is not, be, because what they believe is um, fundamentalism started from the, the southern parts of the United States, and because from there they started fortifying their values. Um, they believe that any new belief that comes into their system is her heretic. It's not right. And usually different sets of beliefs coming into their system are usually from outside cultures. And usually that means different races. So if a black pre preacher shows up at a, at a fundamentalist church, they would say, um, sir, what you're teaching is not according to what we believe. I'm going to ask you to step away. And because of that, they've created this insular culture where they only listen to each other. It's an echo chamber. And what that breeds usually is racism. Now, if you ask them, are you being racist? They'll be like, no, we're just sticking to God's truth. Um, but that's another thing that happens. Now, 
I don't have a slide for this because this is something I added later on. Um, the last point here I wrote is quick to call heresy. Um, I, was wa- I was watching the news a few years ago, and it was, it was about uh, gay rights. And on the panel was a well-known Southern Californian uh, fundamentalist pastor, and another one was a Catholic priest. And across the way was the news anchor and saying, you know, what do you believe about, you know, this and about this whole issue? And really quick, uh, this fundamentalist pastor is like, oh, they're going to hell. And the Catholic priest said, we don't know that. Jesus is the final judge. We don't know that. And he's like, well, the Bible says. And he's like, well, we don't know that. We're not Jesus, right? We're not the ones to judge. And then he's like, well, that's because you're heretic. They're quick to call heresy. If somebody disagrees with them, they're heretic. Evangelicals, on the other hand, they realize that, that Christianity is very diverse, and they would usually say, if they're mature enough, they would say, oh, that's interesting, never saw it that way before. Let's talk about it. <laughs> or at least that's what we should be doing, right? Because we believe that there are many different understandings of Scripture throughout Christianity. But now imagine if you were given the choice, right? You're, you're new to church, and there's a pastor who's calling heresy right away, and there's a one that says, well, we don't know that. Who are you likely to follow? Especially when you're looking for a secure place in, you know, in the afterlife. You're like, well, he seems to be more certain about this than he is. So that's why a lot of people tend to listen to people who call heresy quickly. Okay, so those are the main ways now to identify fundamentalists from evangelicals. Although media was, multi, our culture would say that they're all evangelicals. The root of it is that there's two different parties involved. And there's a lot in between also. Um, So I'll give you an example. Billy Graham. Billy Graham uh, embraced multimedia. He actually wanted to be televised on regular channels, right? Um, He never boycotted, he never waged war against any culture. He never um, boycotted anything. Um, He, instead of being racist, he tried to end racism by, remember that story about removing the rope? He's like, I'm not going to start speaking until that rope that divides the group is removed. And he actually went down and removed the rope himself because he wanted to see the blacks and whites to integrate. So by, by what we just looked at right now, in every, in every test, he's actually an evangelical. Or they, some people call him neo-evangelical, but he's evangelical. On the flip side of that, his son, Franklin Graham, he started this organization called uh, um, Samaritan's Purse. And you're like, oh, so that seems evangelical, right? And like I said, this is a general, it's a broad brush, so sometimes they don't fit all categories. But you've also said, yeah, I'm all for helping people and immigrants, but I just want to help them where they are. We don't want them to come over here. Um, he has wished war on culture, right? He, um, and so he fits some of these things. Now, when you ask Franklin Graham, are you saying that you're opposing your father? He would never say yes. Rather, what he's done in recent years is that he's changed the narrative of Billy Graham saying, well, my father voted this way, my father is that way, my father believes in this. Meanwhile, Billy Graham's grandchildren are coming out saying, uh, Uncle Franklin doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so, I don't know. Okay, so I hope that this bit of information was, um, get, puts things in perspective. What I'm saying here is this, okay, is that outside of these four walls, they're going to call all of us evangelicals because we're not Catholic. But what I want you to know is that there's, even within the, within the evangelical circle, there are um, differences of beliefs. And so people have said, should we adopt a new name? Because evangelical has been hijacked by the fundamentalists. And um, my, my favorite theologian, he basically said, no, evangelical is too good of a name to give up on. You know? 
So uh, I don't know. I think this is going to continue. I think it's going to get even worse. But uh, when people say, you know, oh, you know, it's because of the evangelicals that the, you know, there's so much hatred in this world, you have to remember what they understand as evangelicals encapsulates both sides. 